Welcome to Uncorked, another podcast brought to you by Team Corker. This is a very special episode. This is an episode of my childhood best friend. Her name is Katie Chan, as I know her to be. I think you can find her at Kitchen Katie on the gram. Katie Chan was always the most artistic, creative, self-expressed soul in elementary school. And I was a swimmer and we just were, we were the opposites. She was the crafts and I was this athlete that swam up and down in in a pool and did nothing else. And she did everything else. She played soccer and she did everything with grace and beauty. And we all just were in awe of Katie Chan. It's no surprise that Katie, 30 years later, has gone on to create an incredible, delicious and nutritious career for herself. She has carved a path and she's now known as one of Toronto's most beautiful chefs. It's no surprise at all. And when I started seeing her all over the media, I was like, Katie, we need to get you on the podcast. So a conversation I'm proud, I'm honored to call Katie a dear friend. And if you're in Toronto, please check out the show notes and go and check out where she and her partner have created cafes grocery delivery, a bakery is on the horizon, and just know that it's done with such grace and love. She's impeccable. Enjoy this conversation. Katie Chan, there's no other way to dive into this than with a giggle. It is so, so wonderful to connect with you. Thank you for making the time. Thank you for having me. It feels like grade eight all over again. Does it? No. Yeah, it feels the same. Feels the same. And I mean, undeniably, I reached out because you were all over the internet of being a woman in the kitchen that was, you know, really making waves and making something special. And you and your partner have done so much with what started as one restaurant to grow that and to thrive and survive and innovate during the pandemic. You know, I have watched and been in touch as you've gone to culinary school and It's just so wild. And so I want to talk about the things that we can't see or find out about you online. Mm -hmm. And I want to start with looking back on grade eight, Katie, did you ever think that you'd be running restaurants downtown Toronto? Was this ever part of the plan or the vision? No, to be honest, really, no. I think I was confused until the very end of high school and grade school about what I actually wanted to do. I loved everything and I wanted to try everything. But I think ultimately I just really enjoyed cooking. And the first time I professionally tried cooking, I thought, wow, this is amazing. I can't believe I'm going to get paid to do this. It didn't feel like work. So I don't know. In grade eight, I think I just, I was a really creative person and I really enjoyed art and writing and just doing anything with my hands, really. And that's what led me here. Now, you know, even if you look back on when you first started cooking professionally to what it looks like now, there is a gender Mm -hmm. conversation that feels super important to have. And Mm -hmm. kitchens are so predominantly male. Chefs and restaurant owners are predominantly male. And there's a culture that comes with that, that frankly, I think is fair to say is pretty toxic or it has been pretty toxic. And I'm curious if you're open to sharing the the journey of being female-led and female both front of house and back of house for that matter. Yeah. 
from my perspective, growing up with a really strong mother figure, a feminist, a very fierce feminist, always hearing from when I was younger, like, you can do whatever you want. Do you want to just letting me try whatever I wanted to do? And just always supporting me in whatever I wanted to do and, and never actually really having that conversation of like, oh, well, girls don't do that. Like, we never heard that in our house. It was like, do you want to go help granddad, you know, clean up the garage? Or do you want to watch the solar eclipse? Or maybe you want to do archery? Or it was just kind of the world was my oyster. And I never really got shut down in any way because of being a woman. I would say like starting out my first few jobs, they were sort of neutral. I, I wasn't really closed out of the kitchen, let's say, but I actually got into the kitchen because I wanted to be a server and I wasn't 18 yet. And I really thought like serving was the coolest job and I really wanted to do it. And I could save a lot of money for university, but you know, the restaurateurs that I was trying to work for were like, oh, well, you know, you have to be older to work in the front, but you know, we can give you a job in the kitchen if you like, and you can try that. And then we can sort of mentor you out into the dining room. So I got an opportunity pretty early to just work in the kitchen. And I just, like I said, it didn't ever feel like work to me. It felt like fun. There's this camaraderie in the kitchen that you get working with each other. You know, it's very teamwork oriented. And a lot of the guys that I've been lucky to work with were just very welcoming and taught me, you know, like I was anyone else. They never really made me feel weird or anything. Being a woman in the kitchen. I mean, there are some real physical struggles. It's definitely not as welcoming a job just because of the physical aspect of it. Like you have to lift stuff. If you're not like really agile, you can have some pretty horrific accidents, you know, working with knives, working long hours, can't wear nail polish. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world, but you just sort of adapt to the conditions of the job. Something like emptying out a stock pot. I'm 125 pounds and I'm 5'2". Like, I'm not going to be lifting that stock pot. So I'm going to get one of my buddies to lift it or we'll lift it together. Or I've, you know, developed ways to work as a small person in the kitchen. It's a very physical job, I would say, you know, unloading trucks and carrying veg around in giant crates, like that's not very welcoming for a woman. It's if you're willing to do the work, then you can do it. I just yeah. think a lot of women aren't taught to work like that when they're younger. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> well, we can speak to how incredible both generations, your mom and your grandma, are as it relates to moving their bodies and caring for their bodies and I will never forget your backyard was the most gorgeous garden I'd ever seen. And it just did not occur to me that someone would have a backyard with no grass. And that's what your mom created. And the only grass I think was for the bunnies to like nibble on. So you are no stranger to hard work. And it's so hardly surprising that you're working so hard doing what you're doing now. So fast forward to working for others and working front and back of house. But now you're a restaurant owner and now you own not just one restaurant, but is it several and you have new ideas and new concepts. And I know you've been an entrepreneur at heart from the beginning, but can you tell me what it's been like to blend these passions? And now, I mean, it's, it's not new. You've been at this for a long while, your partner's involved. Like it feels like it's totally taken over, tsunamied your life. It's all the things now. And what is that experience? Initially, I mean, never really set out to do this to this scale. We have three brick and mortar food service locations now. One of them 
is sort of transitioning because of COVID, but also just because of neighborhood changes. We got our start catering together and we met, Nikki was um, bartending at the time and serving. And I was, I think it was also serving. I had my own business a little bit on the side and we met sort of both very ambitious. We met through mutual friends and our conversation started about the program that we both went to called this start which is the young person's startup program funded by the canadian government just to help young people write business plans so you basically get minimum wage to go to class every day and you know you get coaching and mentoring and they help you write your business plan so we met talking about that and then we're both serial entrepreneurs and we just love working and we both came up in restaurants nikki grew up in her parents' restaurant, and I just came up growing and, and relying on restaurants for my income. So those two skills together, I think, and our work ethic, we started taking small catering gigs together, and it sort of snowballed into finding a location. And I was like, listen, you know, I've got the kitchen skills. I can organize this, but we really need a professional kitchen to work out of. We were renting other people's kitchens. We were working, you know, late into the night because, you know, you could only work at certain times. At one point we were doing out of our apartment, which was not ideal. We were just like making it happen by any means, which is, I guess, the theme of most of our work is just setting a goal and then you just drop everything and you focus on just getting that thing going. I mean, once we had the first location open, that was our catering hub and we opened a small cafe in the front of that kitchen and it ended up taking over, you know, not what we expected, which is I guess a little bit difficult trying to think of like, okay, well, I set out to do this thing, but it's not really what the neighborhood wants. They keep asking for other things. So trying to cater to what people were asking for, as well as keeping our catering business open, we ended up consequently opening a restaurant. So <laughs> that's a really uh, problem. <laughs> yeah. Oh, looks like we have a restaurant now. What do we do? Well, we just keep opening more restaurants. I mean, ultimately, it was what we wanted to do, I think. But it just sort of happened in a very organic way. I ended up closing my business and then becoming the chef of the restaurant and then sort of took a uh, sabbatical to go to chef school and get some better training. I did the job for maybe about two or three years. And then I just thought I could do this better you know, and I need some focused time to learn how to be a better leader. Amazing. Um, and that's made all the difference in keeping things going, keeping things running. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Am I allowed to ask how this impacts your relationship? Like, do you see each other? Oh my not working? <laughs> <laughs> well, we've learned through trial and error that it's not a good idea to actually work together. So we take on very different roles. And we're very big into like people doing roles that they are strong at. So even though, you know, Nikki loves cooking and she's a very good cook, she's much better at sort of running our operations and managing our front of house people and being a good customer front. But she's also much better with money than I am. So she sort of manages more of our administrative business parts. What about off time? I mean, like restaurants feels so on all the time. And do you have to carve that time out? Do you let it come? What does it look like to make quality time that's not work time? Quality time like alone or together? Either. 
Okay. Well, to be perfectly honest, at different stages of the business, it looks very different. In the beginning, you know, there isn't really a lot of off time. You're seven days a week really trying to get the baby business going. But, you know, there are specific times of the year where we know that there's going to be a lot of downtime. So there are specific times of year that we like to get away. And we've just learned this through several years of doing things and watching patterns of when people are taking off like August is a great month end of August early September is a great month to take a vacation for us or February really February is one of the slowest months for restaurants so we've really been able to recharge and get away on short little trips you know we see a gap of like four days well let's go let's go to San Francisco and like to be perfectly honest we do food trips so we do recon trips and we have very strategic things that we do while we're on vacation and or just recharging, not at work. Yeah. Amazing. I also want to know about hiring people. What is it like building a team and how do you go about finding the right people and what does it look like? It's been a real struggle. I think, especially at the beginning, learning the value of building a good team and kitchen work and restaurant work in general. It's so incredibly important to work as a team. You actually don't have an option to not work as a team. And so I've just learned through practice and also just good and bad hiring experiences, what makes a good person to work with. Depends on the role. There are lots of factors involved in hiring people to work in the restaurant. I would say I like to hire people that I would like to talk to. And it's a job that has such long hours that if we don't have some sort of sense of actually liking each other, it can be very awkward working in a small space with someone for hours at a time. There are like specific things that I ask people when I'm interviewing them, things that have to do with our core values. So we actually wrote some core values for our company about five years ago, and we really kept going back to that when we're hiring people, just asking not overtly the questions you know, related to the core values, but sort of surrounding that to try and see where that person is at. And then really just finding out what that person needs from you and mm-hmm. working together in a way that they get what they need and we get what we need. Yeah. Um, we you know, students working for us that like, you know, just be really honest with us what you need. Do you need like three days a week? Are you looking for longer shifts when you come in? Are you looking for shorter shifts? And, you know, living in right downtown in the city, like we, it's very important to us that we're on, we're accessible for our employees. They can take the subway or the streetcar and they can get to us. And it's just very important to us that we, we like each other. Yeah. We have to be best friends, but you know, we like to enjoy coming to work. And part of that is liking each other. Absolutely. Totally. I mean, I think core values is a conversation that should never be taken lightly. I think it's important in relationships, any kind of relationships, be it work or play or partnerships. Are you up for sharing even a couple of your core values, not all of them? Like what are the things that really matter? Respect. So we respect all people. And I think there's, I might have to pull it up, but it sort of describes we treat each other with respect and we do so in a way in all of our interactions. So giving people our full attention. And then I'll tell you my top three favorites. Okay. Okay. We learn each day. We continually seek opportunities to learn and self-improve. We grow as individuals and we strengthen our team by sharing knowledge with each other. Mm. 
And this is actually something that we will strategically hire for. So we'll bring people in that know different things than us. I mean, there's so much to know with food and especially with different people's backgrounds and their, their experiences before they come to us. We love to have someone who has a very different experience or perhaps has a really interesting experience that we want to learn about. Mm. We love to laugh. Mm. We work hard. We work so hard. So laughing and having fun is essential to our well-being. We show up each day with a positive attitude. That's pretty, it's a pretty big time important one. Um, yeah. I think in writing the core values, just really thinking about who we are and being able to be yourself at work is a really attractive thing. So yeah. it's important to us to put that in. Yeah. Respect is a great core value, but I think there's another one that I like more. And it's that we are compassionate and caring. We have empathy for others by demonstrating patience, kindness, and understanding. That's gorgeous. I love it. And, and I-, I know it's a restaurant, but like we try and do this with everyone, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's even so- our, our supplier. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I mean, even calling someone by their name, you know, I had a job once it was a side hustle there. I say that I taught spin classes and I gave everybody a nickname and it was really fun for like 80 or 90% of the group. And then there was a group that was like, I don't like this spin instructor. She gives people nicknames. Like, why don't I have a nickname? And I don't like that nickname or whatnot, you know? And it really, it was a beautiful reminder that there is an element of respect. Just call people by their name or what they would like to be called or have permission to create a nickname for somebody that is endearing and they feel loved by, you know? One of our core values at the Corker Collective is that full self-expression is the best way to live. And I love it. It's like, bring your whole self to work, bring your whole self to life. And I'm with you on laughing because every newsletter we send out, we put a footer joke in the bottom. That's a total groaner. And our, one of our favorite interview questions is tell me your favorite joke. And it's only out of like, if we can't find something to laugh about, especially in the last 12 months, then what the heck? It's way too easy to take things, take things and rightfully so very seriously. And we're all going to die. So we find some joy along this journey for sure. Yeah. And there's a lot of opportunities and I think especially in the kitchen and doing things, working together, mundane tasks, little jokes going around and banter and teasing each other. And let's peel these three bushels of apples and let's tell some stories while we're doing it, you know, yeah. and just keep everyone engaged. I think laughter is amazing. It's so nice to have it work and it just keeps things light. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. I want to ask one last question. I want to know about pivoting and creation. And you mentioned, you know, there was some downtime and you started becoming obsessed with baking bread. And what did that look like for you? How did you take the downtime to create? So when we first closed in March of 2020, there was sort of a flurry of activities, sort of like, oh my goodness, we're closed. Let's resurface the floors and let's repaint everything. And there's just sort of a naivety about what exactly was going on in the world. We thought, okay, here's our chance to do a couple of things because we don't really close. We close, you know, on some major holidays and that's basically it. We like to be open and available to people all the time. So having expired ourselves after that flurry of renovation activity, we just said, okay, we got to make moves now. We've been closed for a month. What are we going to do? 
and I sort of said, well, I'd really love to execute this business plan that I've had in the sidelines. We had been making bread for ourselves for just using inside the restaurant, but I really wanted to push forward and start making bread more regularly and more fully and offered to the general public. So we started a grocery service, which a lot of people pivoted and did. So just using our suppliers and our resources, I mean, we've got, we're sitting on inventory. We've got 50 pounds of beautiful chickpeas from a local supplier. I've got all the spices in the universe. We were able to sell literally everything we had. But part of the nice thing that bread does is it draws people in and it hooks them because it's sort of a staple. So, I mean, if you're not a rice eater, you're a bread eater. And I think most North Americans are rice and bread eaters, but we have some wonderful wheat that grows in Canada. And like to be able to use that in a a nice way, like making bread, we just thought it's a great sort of habit forming. I mean, you talked about buying bread, you know, every week going to your bakery and it is sort of like a nice neighborhoody thing. We don't have any bakers in our neighborhood. So I sort of noticed that there was a gap because I was going to Kensington Market or down to like several, several city blocks farther from where I like to grocery shop to get a loaf of bread. And I just thought, well, there's a demand for it. Well, I'm, I need it. So other people must need it too. Yeah, just working through the recipes and bread recipe development takes a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And he would tell you I was in there for hours and hours, days and days, just trying to get it right. But yeah, you don't get that opportunity when you're working full time to really dive into recipe development. And so I took that opportunity to experiment and get some recipes resolved. And do you have the winning bread recipe? I do. I have a great basic sourdough loaf with all like organic local flours. And we have Basically, we produce all the breads that we use in the restaurant. We have brioche buns. We have like a sliced bread that we use for sandwiches with whole wheat and olive oil and honey. We have, we're working on baguette now, which is really challenging, but such a fun challenge to work on. I mean, just my team loves it. They love working on the recipes and like having little discussions and meetings and like, okay, we're going to try this and that didn't work out. And like, why didn't it work out? And it's just really fun. And it's a great way to keep people engaged at work too. That is so cool. I love it. So you have four restaurants in a bakery. Is this what I'm hearing? We have three restaurants. We have two actual open restaurants right now that are open for takeout. One is a nighttime spot called Barney on and one is called Cafe Neon, which is more like morning and afternoon coffee and stuff like that. And then our first location where we bake the bread out of right now and run the grocery service, that was another Cafe Neon location, but we've actually closed to the public and we will reopen soon as more of a bakery deli. That is so neat. Oh, I hate that we're out of time. And the last question we always ask is what is making your heart beat faster? Oh gosh, honestly, it just broke over zero in Toronto. Everything is melting. The snow is melting. The ice is melting. We are super, super thrilled to get some spring veg. It's still really far away. It's Mm. still really, really far away. But I'm like thinking about rhubarb and getting excited. I really want to plant some little seeds and start growing some seedlings because just the sun being out longer and, you know, nine degree weather, it's, you start dreaming about being outside and gardening or Amazing. Got a pizza oven, so I've been making pizza. That is just super, super fun. 
Oh, Katie Chan, it's such a treat. You're incredible. I'm so proud of you. It's so special to watch you just flourish, no pun intended. You were never a seed, but you have become so much more than a seedling. And it's amazing. So thank you for your time. Thanks for coming on. And know that when we can travel, I'll be there. (laughs) Yay. Thank you.